Welcome back to The Chosen Life. After a little bit of a mini vacay and pre-taping some episodes, it's really exciting to get back into the driver's seat. And joining me today, speaking of driver's seats, is our good friend, Mr. George Hill, not of the Indiana Pacers, but of Aaronwood Ford in Mississauga, Ontario. George, welcome back to The Chosen Life. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. And welcome back from your vacation. Thank you, my friend. It's been... Uh, I'd like to say it's nice to be back, but when you're going from... 77 Fahrenheit weather in Arizona to 7 Fahrenheit or whatever we are, it's not that pleasant. No, definitely not. Remember, I grew up in Barbados, so for me, winter is not my best friend. My mother always told me a story that uh, when they came to Canada, you know, on the boat or however they got here in the old country, the choices were Toronto or California. They chose Toronto because we knew more people in Toronto. Well... But you know what? If 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 you went there, you wouldn't have met me. Likely true. So it was well worth it to coming to Toronto. There you go. See? Now it's always positive. Always positive. Now this is our this is our third time together. Third time, yeah. Third time shows life. So it's third time's a charm. Uh checking in on your alter ego, Mr. George Hill, now of the Indiana Pacers. Yep. So he's left the Milwaukee Bucks. He's on the Indiana Pacers. Um uh, Still chugging along with his five points per game and two rebounds per game. So George Hill is still going along there. Uh, Still do not keep in touch with him? No, no. You know what? Him and I had a falling out years ago. So, you know, it's just one of those things that it's better that we don't talk. We just get confused when we call each other George. Do you ever, like, wake up in the morning and you go check your mail in the mailbox and there's, like, these checks in there from the Bucks or the Pacers and you see, like, $15 million, $2 million payable to George Hill and you ever, like, hmm... You know what, man? It would be it would be wonderful if that was to happen, and I would I would probably bank them. He might not miss them. <laughs> I don't even know if he'd notice, to be honest. <laughs> Speaking of millions, as well, uh, yeah. for those of you that are in dire need of spring merch, up on the millions.co website, so that millions with an s dot co, and you type in either Jonathan, type in chosen lawyer, you will see the merch is back up. And fresh and all ready to go. So if you want your own chosen lawyer, chosen life merch, get on there. We got t-shirts, sweats, hats, men and ladies sizes. What about underwear? We still got to branch out on those, you know, uh, we'll see how that goes as a lawyer. You know, I don't know how my partner would feel about chosen lawyer underwear, but, uh, it's a possibility for sure. It's something we could certainly think about. I mean, you know, there's lots of legal briefs. And then from there, um, there's the dad jokes. All profits go to help animal rescue. So mm-hmm. you get to look great, you get to flex, and you get to have animals and help. That's a winning combination in my book. Perfect. Now, George Hill, before we get into our topic today, because we're going to talk about cars. Today is all about cars, automotives. There's a lot of questions I got for you. Stuff that's been burning my brain for years and I need to get this settled out. But before we do, I just got to ask you a quick question. Uh, Sporting-wise, you've been catching it all, the World Baseball Classic? I have not. Oh, you've been I, missing. I think I've been working too much to, 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 to catch it. And plus, when I get together with you, I normally find out about stuff like that. Tonight, as far as on today's taping, like while we're taping this, George, one of the biggest baseball games of all time are going to be played. Japan somehow pulled it out in the semifinals over Team Mexico. 
And we got Japan and the USA in the finals. It's going to be unbelievable. I'm going to be glued to my television. This is going to be one of the best games ever. Nice. Well, you know what? Japan has always produced good baseball players. Well, if you ever see Shohei Otani, the Angels guy, like being able to be both a pitcher and a hitter, he's the modern day Babe Ruth. He delivered in that game. I, sources have told me that he's not going to be starting today's game, which I'm very upset about because I got a little bit of money on Japan. But uh, man, well executed fundamentals, you know. But it, you put together a tournament like this in March, you know. One of the things that somebody told me was from the inside, okay, great. So you're coming. Teams are in spring training, right? Going along their merry way, and then some guys they got to pull out and they got to go play for this tournament. Well. The Japanese players, for the most part, have been playing together since January. So they're playing as a team. They've been ready to go when everybody else is warming up. So I think the advantage has been shown. Plus, when you work together as a team, very different. You can get a bunch of superstars, try to get them to play together. But when you get one cohesive unit, George, you notice how it's so much more productive? It's hard to beat. It's hard to beat. And I mean, I think that goes with everything in life too, right? Especially in the automotive sector, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hell, even 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 in 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 your in your um, line of work, you put together a good team that helps you get everything going. It makes a big difference, right? Let's talk about that with my partner today. And one of the things in businesses, man, if you have people that know how to communicate and win people over and have those people skills, we'll teach you mm -hmm. everything else. But if you know how to do everything else, but you don't have the people skills, you're only going to go so far in life. Absolutely. And I think we've talked about that before. I would hire yeah. an attitude. I would hire an attitude big time because you know what you can teach people stuff and if you got the right if you have the right uh, attitude towards work and you have that you have that desire inside to do well and, and succeed you know what no amounts of education unless you're doing brain surgery can 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 get you there over and above that if they're if your attitude is poor right so so we'll agree street smarts over book smarts if we have a choice yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it'd be industry it'd be industry specific for sure because you know you could have a good attitude and you can't perform a dental surgery or brain surgery. But at the end of the day, for for you know the business I'm in, I, I like having people that have good attitudes and and you can teach them a lot of stuff. And you're more apt as a leader to teach people who have a good attitude who are willing to learn than the ones that always resist you, right? I'm not saying that everybody needs to agree with me, but at the same time. There is, there is that thing where somebody's willing to work with you and help you progress and learn at the same time. It goes a very, very, very long way. And for those uh, viewers today that are very interested in automotives or life and business and how to succeed, you'll have George Hill's contact information. Do not contact the Indiana Pacers in the NBA. You will not find this George Hill. You're going to reach him over at Ernwood Ford. George is part of Ford, Nissan. And one of the nicest, smartest, brightest guys I know. And do you ever have any car items? This is your guy you're going to speak to. And uh, I've known George for years, and I can vouch for him as far as being a stand-up A-plus guy. And that's why he's on today, because he's going to be teaching us a lot about cars. And so, George, going to settle out some issues I have, and we're going to start off today with one of my favorite topics, muscle cars. Mm -hmm. So my Flipboard, my Google... They all realize I love cars and they keep sending me articles and I keep getting a lot of the same article back and forth. I keep seeing the debate. We got Mustang, Camaro, and Challenger. Got the yep. big three, like taking out the, the, the supercars and even taking out the Corvette. Those are like, you know, the 
quote unquote affordable or the American muscle. And there's a constant debate on those on which one is the better car and why and the history of them and blah, blah. And seems to be pretty industry standard as far as people knowing in the know saying this, that the Mustang has won out. They're going to continue to win out. Challenger is moving on to probably being only EV and mm -hmm. Camaro may disappear altogether or become EV as well. Yep. Uh, where do you see the, the standing between these three cars and why is there still a debate on this? Well, I, I don't know if I can answer why there's still a debate. I think it's just there because it historically has always been there. But, you know, if I were to look at a Ford Mustang now versus where it was, let's say 2014-ish when it didn't have the independently sprung uh, suspension and things like that it's a totally different vehicle than it was back then right uh, right down to horsepower like you look at an EcoBoost Mustang right back in the day a GT Mustang used to be 300 horsepower right and that was that was fast back then an EcoBoost Mustang now has like you know 300 and something horsepower 305 horsepower standard and that's a V6 turbo right and now when you're getting into the GTs and they're coming up with the door the dark horses that are coming um, for 2024 model year that's like 568 horsepower. It's crazy what they're getting out of, out of the vehicles now. And the one thing that, that I found that Ford did with the Mustang is that they evolved it. So they took it away from that straight on car that they had before and they independently sprung the transmission, they the, the suspension. They, they changed um, a lot of them to automatic transmissions that had a, a quicker gear ratio that would allow you to you know, go to zero, go from zero to 60 in a faster time than you could in a manual transmission. They still offer manual transmissions in them, uh, at least for this model year. Next year may not be that case. And, and they've really tried to push the envelope with uh, horsepower. I'm not saying that Camaro didn't, because they definitely did. They talked about, you know, even bringing back a, an iteration of the Firebird and stuff like that as yes. well. Yes. And that died a natural death. Um, but the one thing I found is that Dodge did not do really anything different with Challenger. Now I've driven all three of the cars and I mean, maybe I'm biased. I do like the, the Ford Mustang the best in terms of its handling. Um, a Camaro will beat it depending on which one, I, 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 you know, in terms of the timing, I've seen Camaros beat it uh, by a few seconds on a, on a track. Um, but the one thing I found driving the Camaro was that the visibility was very, was, was, was very poor. Um, especially if you weren't driving a, a convertible version of it, you'd have to stay really far back from the lights. Um, did it drive well? Yeah, it drove great. Did it handle well? Yeah, it drove, it handled pretty well. Did it have a lot of horsepower? Yes, it did. But the overall drivability and the overall feeling when you're in it was not as comfortable as sitting in a Mustang from being able to be visible um, and, and things like that. Because you want to be comfortable when you're driving. You know, you might look cool and then, you, you know, you feel like crap after you get out of the car, right? Um, Challenger. Raw power, no real handling ability behind it. It had a cult following, right? Still does, right? They even went as far as building things like scat packs where it had a one, it had a one driver seat only, and it was, you know, passenger seat delete and rear seat delete because it was it was built for the track. But they did nothing more with it. Yeah, you threw a Hellcat in there. Hellcats were really quick. I I I, I drove in one, they were really, really quick. But I found that it didn't handle as well as the other two, right? So from driving it, you know, I'd say that the Mustang is best. Maybe I am being biased, but they really did a, did a good job 
engineering wise in tweaking it all the time where I felt the other manufacturers did not. And the sales are showing it. When you look at the numbers, as far Correct. as overall sales, the public mm -hmm. is agreeing with you because the Mustang is obliterating the other two. Right. And when you look at what their plans, their plans are, so GM and, and, and Chrysler, what their plans are for taking their supercars, they're saying to them, well, let's call them a supercar, right? It's not a supercar, but it's a, it's a muscle car. Um, their plans are to say, great, let us turn it into an electric car because that's the future. Ford already did that in a version of the, the, the Mach-E, which is a Mustang SUV. So a, a Mustang purist hates the fact that it's called a Mustang Mach-E, <laughs> right? Because they're like, you know, there's no way that this, you know, classic car should be, should be named after Mustang. But I totally get it. They went after the market. They wanted to go after Tesla. They were using something iconic as a marketing ploy to get there. And I think it worked out great for them because we sell lots of Mach-E's. They're very popular. They drive really well. I've been able to drive, you know, that versus uh, Tesla Model Y. And and the um, and the fit and finish on the Mach-E, in my opinion, was superior. Right? And I'm surprised that other have not followed suit with them as far as copying them from that respect, because I'm surprised we're not seeing a Corvette SUV, a Camaro SUV, a yeah. Challenger SUV, maybe coming down the pipes, but I don't yeah. know if it's coming or it is. And then if it's going to replace the actual sports cars or not, but I, I'm sure everybody's thinking about it, certainly. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, like looking at the cars, my assessments, uh, the Camaro, I, I was reading a funny uh, interview about it uh, with a leading car expert and they said, Sitting inside the Camaro these days, it feels like being inside of a World War II bunker as far as visibility mm -hmm. goes. And mm -hmm. when you're changing lanes and everything, you're just kind of hoping for the best. Like, because it really is, it's all blindside. It's all blind spots, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Great car, but it's the overall experience, like you said. The Challenger, my feeling is you take out the Fast and Furious series, I don't think yeah. the Challenger's selling anywhere close <laughs> to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I could see that. I can see that it really did give it um it really did give it some legs like right? when i see a challenger pull up beside me in a parking lot if the guy is not wearing like a white tank top a smoke in his ear a pack of cigarettes in his arm and everything is blacked out and tinted it, it looks weird to me like it's one of those cars you just expect a certain kind of person to drive yeah. it but they're going from the, again they're going for the for the fast and furious crowd does yeah. well but it's it is very boxy like for the yeah. look of it. And that's one of the things yeah. I liked about the look of the Mustang as far as the refinement goes. And that's what would be very interesting to see. Again, we talked about in the previous episode, in the next five, 10 years of where we're going, electrical, non-electrical, and uh, keeping these V8 cars going. And uh, yeah, good luck to the Mustang in that regard. And then on a similar tone, I, another one I wanted to bring up to you was the truck battles. And we mm -hmm. got, there's a lot of trucks out there, granted, but you know, the big three as far as American goes and you know, uh, American Canadian, you got the Ford F-150, you got the Ram and you got the Silverado. That's the fair three comparison. Yep. Yep. Asking trucks aficionados, they're always telling me F-150 hands down. Yep. Why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, it's been around longer. Um, 52 years of truck leadership for Ford and still going, um, again, it comes, it comes down to, in, in my eyes, to the willingness of the engineers to push the boundaries and push the limits with things and come up with, come up with new ideas that other people haven't come up with. So I'll give an example. 
back in 2014, they came out with the tailgate step. It was something that was patented by Ford. They created the tailgate step. And it was something that people always had difficulty. If you were driving a pickup truck before and you got to get in and out of the tailgate, it was like in and up out of the box. It was a pain, right? And, uh, you know, they came up with something like that, right? Side steps. There's side steps that you press down by the back that you can reach into the box. Um, you know, LED lighting in the box. Big screens when you're driving. 360 camera taking a lot of luxury items and putting it in a pickup truck because pickup trucks these days are not only driven by contractors and, 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 you know, blue collar workers. Like I, myself, I, I drive a, a Lariat hybrid. Right. And, um, and they're wonderful trucks, especially for families. Even, even if I didn't have a family with single, I, I, I would drive one. Like it's that comfortable. Right? I, was so they, I was blown away driving in Texas. Like yeah. every single second vehicle is a pickup truck, mm -hmm. literally like the whole state there is filled with them. And like, and everybody of all gender races, ages, sizes, everyone's driving them. But you'll notice in Canada, it's becoming that way as well too. You'll find a lot more people are driving a pickup truck because they can. And that's why you have iterations like, you know, two, seven EcoBoost turbo engines to give you a little bit of a, of a break on, on the gas um, consumption. Mm -hmm. And people are driving them because, you know, I want to drive a pickup truck and drive to work, <laughs> right? I, I don't need that family car anymore, the family sedan. And, and that's why Ford made the decision years ago to get away. I'm not saying it was the right decision because there's still a market out there for, for cars, in, in my opinion. And, and, you know, we have the, the, the Nissan store, Direct Nissan in Mississauga as well that I run. And Reason, part of the reason why we bought that is the availability of cars to the marketplace because fewer and fewer manufacturers are making cars to be able to, to go for the, to the general public. The reality is, is that, you know, Nissan has affordable cars. So you can get into a lease on a Nissan Sentra for like about 350 plus taxes where, you know, when you're starting off in something at Ford, you're looking at 550 plus taxes before you even look at a, an Escape SE, right? So there's an affordability factor there. Um, and, you know, Ford has become a little bit more of a luxury brand and, and Nissan is trying to make sure they're keeping the affordability there. And, and, but that's why the trucks are so popular because Ford's built on that now. Their marketing has everything to do with it. See, I remember. And yes, growing... I've driven all three. Yeah. I've driven all three types of trucks. Um, I would definitely rank the F-150 first and that's not being biased. That is literally driving several of them to know. And I would put the Chevy second and the Ram third. Um, mm. I mean, I was thoroughly impressed with a, a Denali that I drove. Um, you know, it was like a 1500 Denali. The vehicle drove beautifully. It felt luxurious. Uh, so, so GM has kind of done that a little bit too. I'm not saying that Dodge hasn't, but because of the chip shortage over the last few years and, and, and lack of parts availability, Chrysler decided to continue building the classic. And what they did is they, they decontented vehicles. So for example, a Laramie, you get a Laramie, it normally comes with, you know, a power passenger seat and heated seats. So they decontented them. They still built Laramies, but said, Hey, we don't have a chip for this. So we're not going to put a heated seat in this. And we're not going to put the power seat here for you. So you gotta be really careful in what you're buying. Ones that were built like, you know, 21, 22 may not be what was typically involved in a Laramie or, a or, um, you know, their version of, uh, they have like, 
uh, I can't remember them, their 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 top brand, but you know, they're all decontent they're all decontented and and you know you're not always getting the value. So they don't feel as luxurious because they're missing a lot of the things that the other manufacturers have said, hey, we're not going to compromise on that, right? Because when I buy a car and I look up the model and the year, I automatically yeah. assume I'm getting X level of features with Correct. that car. Correct. Correct. So that that's a very interesting thing to note yeah. there. Um, my picture of, of a, no. tr a pickup truck or truck, mm -hmm. you know, growing up was two-door versions you know it was a big deal when they went to four-door but when they're two-door yep. manual yeah, windows yeah. bumpy rides like it drove like a truck it sounded like a truck now these days you go see like an f-150 king ranch are you joking me that's like being inside of somebody's lounge it feels like yeah yeah yep, yep. times have changed and you know you talk about the luxury part of it i was really blown away by the options that are there in pickup trucks now but also it feels like a much smoother ride. It's not like the bumpy, harsh rides they used to have in pickup trucks. Why is that? Well, I mean, uh, Ford, for example, has gone to independently sprung as well in the trucks. So last year when I went to Vegas, we, we really got to test that out. So I got to take uh, got to take an F-150 and I got to take an Expedition on a bit of an off-road course. And I'm telling you, I actually brought the Expedition on three wheels. It was one wheel was off the ground and you could not tell so that's part of the reason why the suspension's been made better um i know that gm what they've done with theirs is that they've added air ride suspension to theirs sometimes too on some of the higher models so that when you are you know going on a long trip or the road's bumpy that starts to it starts to boost up the suspension with air uh the one thing ford used to have air suspension back in the day in their navigators and 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 they are they do still do exist in, the, in a few of their models but the problem is, is eventually the compressors and stuff that run it need replacement and the airlines blow and, and things like that. It's kind of like, you know, having one of those, one of those cars that the guys, uh, that the guys uh, trick out and it goes up and down and bounces all around, right? It runs off the same kind of uh, uh, setup, right? But that's part of the reason why is the independently sprung suspension has, has really made the ride that much better. A um, few other things they've done in there, better quality tires, uh, it's no longer like, you know, 15 inch, 16 inch tires that are sitting on pickup trucks anymore. You know, your minimum on there is probably a 17 uh, at worst. And you can go all the way up to 22s. So I drove, a, I drove a limited before and it had 22s on it. And the ride was great. <laughs> right? The ride was great. So, so they're really making a good effort. What a lot of manufacturers do these days is that your initial quality is very, very important to them. So they make sure that they put on things that are going to be comfortable for you. So I'll give you an example. Tires. When you buy a brand new car, they're going to put tires on there that feel really good for the ride. The problem is the ones that feel really good for the ride always don't last the longest. So by the time you hit about 60K, you probably got to replace the tires. But you had that initial feel out of it. What you do with it thereafter is up to you, right? But if you want longevity, sometimes you get a, a tire, say, for example, that lasts a little bit longer, you're going to end up feeling a little bit more of, of, of the bumps on it because it's not as high quality rubber or whatever the case may be. But that's what they do. They're really concerned. Manufacturers are very, very concerned with initial quality. It's one of the things that JD Power looks at for them to make sure that, you know, as a vehicle, it's not coming back in for certain things. How was the ride? How was the feel? How was the vehicle harshness? And that's one of the things that they do. They try to put quality... Uh, components on the vehicle up front that make that ride feel comfortable, but it's not for a very long time, right? You get 60K out of it, that's probably the life of it. 
And, you know, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable, but it gives them what they need to make sure that they're presenting a good product, right? That means we now know how to look for muscle cars, pickup trucks. The trifecta is going to be now what we term, you brought that term up a second ago, but what mm -hmm. the supercar is. And I yep. agree with you that I would not put the Mustang, the Camaro, the Challenger in the supercar category, but Ford yep. does make one, I believe it's called the GT. GT, yeah. That to so, me is definitely in the supercar category. Oh, 100%. So I don't know if you know, you, well, I mean, big wrestling fan. So John Cena uh, bought one of the first ones that, uh, that uh, Ford uh, created. And uh, he ended up getting sued by Ford because he went against their... Um, the contract. So basically they wanted you to sign, sign a contract that said that you were, you were not going to flip the car out uh, for at least 365 days. Um, and he flipped it out, I don't know, two months later and made like 400 grand on it. And then it got sold again. So it got like sold three, four times and it ran through like Barrett Jackson auctions and this and that, and it, it pulled huge money. Right. So it was a very popular car. Uh, I believe the last year that they are making this version of it was for 2023. So Multimatic, who actually produces them, is out of Markham, Ontario. So the car is actually built and designed here. And Multimatic actually makes a lot of other supercar components. So they do some Evo and some Lotus stuff there as well, too. So you notice some of the similarities in the design. Um, I have never driven one. I have driven in one. <laughs> uh, a little hard to get in and out. And I'm not that old yet, uh, but it, it, it's it's very nice. I can definitely see the allure to it. The craftsmanship is really good. The lines on it were really nice. I wouldn't say it had a whole bunch of technology like you know the other Ford brand stuff. And part of the reason why is that in the supercar you kind of you know can't really fit it. Like you can't really put a 20 inch screen inside this in, inside a, a you know a Ford GT. So who knows what they're coming up with next. There are rumors that Multimatic was going to make a, a mid-engine Mustang, uh, which would be a, a, a different iteration to the GT now. I don't know if they'd still name it GT, but they just came up with a Heritage Edition uh, GT that uh, another fellow dealer has um, in, in Hamilton. He has one of the gold and, and red and black striped ones. Beautiful vehicle. Uh, I believe it was his that was down at the at the auto show recently on 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 display and uh, they did a really nice job on it they did a really really nice job on it and uh, i'm excited to see if they come up with something different because the gt is always something where there's a period of time that they stop producing it and then they bring it back again right and there's always major changes so, so it'll be very interesting to see what they come up with so we got these people right now sipping on their lattes you know getting ready for their lobster dinners and they're Debating right now, George, which supercar is right for me? So for the discriminating crowd out there, and I mean the discriminating in a good way, not a bad way, obviously, mm -hmm. but the ones that are saying, you know, I need, I need the refined life and I need a supercar in my life, George Hill, but I'm going to consider what supercars I should get or starting off my first supercar. What are some factors I should look for versus a regular car? I wish I could really tell you that because, you know, we, we as Ford dealers don't have the opportunity to learn very much about the supercars because it's controlled by the manufacturer. So, so basically, if you wanted to buy a, a Ford GT, when they, when they launched the first year of them with a new redesign, you had to fill out a 23-page application to say, hey, I've owned GTs before, or you know, I have these types of cars, this is what I do. 
like it was a whole interview process to be able to do it. And what happened when you were selected, you chose a dealership at which the delivery would take place. However, they would have the car brought and a concierge would take it off white glove, similar to what they do with Bugattis, right? And, and you know, the whole delivery would be done. And as a dealer, you basically get a fee for using your facility for it. And we had to invest in tools and stuff. So at Aaronwood, we are one of the dealers that are certified to do uh, the service on them. So we actually service a couple of the older ones here, still in really nice shape. But if I were looking for things, I mean, in supercar category, they're all really well made. Um, you know, you start looking at things like, like Ferrari, F430 Spiders, things like that. You got to recognize that, that your regular maintenance, you do an oil change is going to be running $14,000. Like it, it, it's something where, where it, like for example, in the, on the spider, the first oil change, they have to retorque everything in the vehicle. I don't believe it's the same thing for, for, for GT. I'd have to find out from, from my uh, foreman, but there's an expense to these, to these things. And, you know, if you're going to spend that kind of money, let's make sure that you know that it's going to be a continued expense. <laughs> Number one. Now, if you're in the category of being able to afford a supercar, then you're in the right, you're in the right company. Right. But they, they, they cost a lot of money. It costs a lot, of, a lot of money to maintain. And if you're not driving them because most people don't drive them because they don't want to put too many kilometers on them because they either want to buy it as an investment because they technically do appreciate if you don't put too many kilometers on them. But for me, I'd want to drive them. Like part of the part of the allure for having that car is being able to drive it. So, you know, at that point, you're going to spend four or $500,000 and, and, and get a car. I mean, the, the, the playing field, in my opinion, is pretty level with a lot of the supercars out there. I mean, I think Bugatti takes it to the next level with all the stuff that they have. And, and it's going to cost you a, a fair bit more. But when you're looking at, you know, Ferraris, the, the GTs, a Lotus, things like that, you, you, you're, you got a level playing field out there because a lot of the parts and stuff and the manufacturers are all the same, right? I mean, obviously, Ferrari and Lamborghini are a little bit different because they come from, from Italy. But keep in mind, they're all handmade engines and it's a little bit different engineering. It is older technology because they're utilizing their original iterations of their engines as well, too, right? Maybe a little bit less electronics in them than, than the North American ones. But I don't think you can go wrong choosing any of them because it's all going to be the same headaches. <laughs> It's, it, it's funny because that leads up into our fourth topic of the day, which I, I sent you the agenda of the show. And then that same yeah. day, all of a sudden, an article comes across my feed of a disgruntled Ferrari owner who did not like the, uh, the pushing of his buttons in his car. He's like, that's really bugging me. I want my buttons to be very, very smooth or not. Anyways, right. he gets his bill and what was that? 70,000 bucks or so? 70,000, yep. And he's like, yeah. I'm going to sell this car. I'm not doing this. Yeah. I remember George, even like something simple, like having, let's say an, uh, a regular Beamer, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. the light burns out and, and, and your headlight and you like want to just change a light bulb, right? Mm -hmm. If you're driving, uh, whatever, Chevy Malibu, uh, Ford focus, it, it's popping out and it's getting done in about five, 10 minutes at 10 right. bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. Right. Yep. Yep. BMW is not so simple. You want to change your headlight? Okay, mm -hmm. now we got to pull out part of the engine here. It's a whole day operation. Good yep. Lord, what are they thinking? And uh, any friends that I know have supercars, 
it's like if one little part goes, it's not so simple because everything's connected. So now we got to change the whole thing. Actually, you can't just buy this one little piece and it goes on and on and on and on and on. So if you like taking your money and throwing it down the drain, that's how it can feel with a not so good supercar. I mean, kind of right. Like, I mean, I, I, I think about it that it's similar to almost owning, owning a boat, right? So you got a boat and most people that own boats take pride in them. Like, I mean, I own a boat and I take pride in my boat and if something breaks, I want to fix it because it drives me absolutely crazy if something's broken, right? Yep. Most supercar people are people that collect cars or spend money on, you know, uh, high-powered cars, supercars, whatever the case is. They want to make sure everything is perfect. It's it's like almost anal retentive with the cars. So I met this one guy that wanted me to take a look at his uh, F430 Spider, beautiful car. I think it was a 2001. Right? He was the second owner of it, and he was looking at liquidating it. And he had $110,000 in maintenance over the nine years that he owned it. Sounds a lot, George. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. And he, but he was so anal with it. Like, the car was perfect. It better be. Right? Yeah, the belts were changed way before they needed to be. I mean, he changed the tires a couple times because he didn't like the fact that they were sitting on sitting on it for a certain period of time not being driven. It only had something like 28,000 kilometers on it total, and it was already so many years old. But it was it was a ton of money that he put into this vehicle. And he had a binder. And the binder, you can go through it chronologically to see the money he spent on it. Now, you know, what he was going to get out of it for what he spent into it, he realized that he overspent because he was anal with everything, but he just wanted it to be perfect. The car was absolutely perfect. Imagine every time you you drove to pick, drive your car, mm-hmm. every kilometer is four dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But he was he was so anal with it. He's like, I didn't like this, so I had it fixed. I didn't like this, I had it fixed. He's like, I couldn't stop myself because I needed it to be perfect. And then at that point, he was kind of like, okay, well, you know what? My kids have gone to college. I've had my fun with the car. I kind of like, you know, I've had my time and I just don't think I should own it anymore because it's getting hard to get in and out of and, and things like that. Beautiful car, but I couldn't give him what he was looking for because obviously I give him wholesale. If I want to be, you know, in the business, you got to make money. You got to give him wholesale and sell it for retail. That's how it works. Right. So I think he eventually found a, found a buyer for somebody through uh, the FAF group and uh, he was able to, to turn it around. I still think he got like over $160,000 back when for it. Right. So, I mean, we, we had another one here recently that went for 200 and something thousand from one of our customers. So I have, I have a couple good customers that actually are consummate car collectors. Uh, one of my good friends, Eros, he, he, he owns uh, probably 60 or 70 cars. He's a big Corvette and Mustang guy. He, he loves, uh, he loves, uh, funny enough, he loves smart cars. So he has one of each iteration of the smart car. Right, <laughs> right. Like, like, it's like collecting Hot Wheels. Almost, almost, right. And and he just, I said to him, well, "Why a smart car?" He's like, "I just like the fact that you know their cockpit was with their their drivers their drivers uh, area was designed after a fighter jet cockpit." Right. He just liked that whole concept. Right. He's a big watch collector, pen collector. Um, he owns like four Panteras. Right. Like he just loves certain types of vehicles probably has about, about eight different Corvettes over the, the various years when the body styles changed. Um, he, and he takes 
absolutely great care of him. Like I, I learned about the obsession from him going to see his cars and every car had a battery tender on it to make sure that the battery didn't, didn't go, um, didn't go flat. He always had, you know, he has, he has his own hoists in his area that the mechanic can come and check things. Um, he was just an, 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 a wonderful guy, like such a down to earth dude really loves car, cars. He's a, he's a purist when it comes to, to vehicles. Um, but he's not against going electric. Like he actually had a Fisker, a nice Fisker there when first Fisker first uh, brought out their full size sedan. So he has one of those. He has a 1987 BMW M3 number two for Canada. It was one of the first cars that he bought to start collecting. And, and funny enough, he has a 1984 Volkswagen rabbit cabriolet with the white wall tires. It's got all of 2000 kilometers on it. It was given to him and his first wife as a wedding present and he never drove it. He kept it and collected. Imagine that. Tell Euros that he's consummate, welcome. Consummate collector. Tell Euros <laughs> he's welcome to come join us for dinner anytime he wants. Yeah. I'm sure he's yeah. got some stories. Now, a guy like Euros goes to speak to a mechanic. He will know what to say and what to look for, etc. But, yeah. you know, for the average person that goes out there and, you know, has their one or two cars between the family, uh, mm -hmm. They don't always so, know so well, George. And, uh, you know, they're not in supercar categories. They're just mom and pop and trying to get by in life. And, you know, uh, it's a really tough thing in the car industry because there are some great people and some not so great people. And people have a not great experience. And unfortunately, I think makes it not as easy for the people who do have a good experience. And uh, and that's one of the things, you know, I always say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, word of mouth, uh, people that know and can help direct you is a lot easier than, you know, doing random Google searches and just showing up as far mm -hmm. as having your car cared for. Yeah. So, so I mean, look, look, realistically, I'm of the belief, maybe I'm old school that, that maintaining your car is, is key, right? So, you know, I see manufacturers and they say, you can do one oil change a year. That drives me crazy. And I understand the technology has increased. The technology has improved. Um, you know, there is there is a synthetic oil that makes a big difference in the viscosity and the breakdown of the oil and the oil life. Um, there are oil life monitors in cars. And I'm not saying that I don't trust them. But for me, I have a hard time swallowing that pill. Because time and time again, you see the people that maintain their cars very well, it tends to last them. No different than you having a house and making sure that if there's a leak in the faucet, you fix it. If there's a leak in the roof, you fix it. So it prevents other things from happening. So let me preface everything by saying that, because I think it's really important to take good care of your vehicles. You just can't expect to say, great, I'm going to do a regular oil change. I'm going to do that all the time and expect that my car is going to last me because there are other things that you need to do. Rotating tires, changing belts, checking various charging systems to make sure that they're, that they're going well, doing a full point inspection to make sure that certain things that are wearing down need to be replaced. So I'll give you a good example. Okay. Yes. Hondas. Everybody says Honda and Toyotas are so reliable. Right. And that's been the history. And don't get me wrong. Japanese make a great car. We own a Japanese dealership. They make a great vehicle, but their claim to, uh, to fame in terms of the way that the cars last longer is because they maintain them differently to domestic brands. And when I say that, I'll give you a perfect example. If your water pump ever goes in a Honda, automatically they change your um, 
they will change your uh, <clears throat> they will change your uh, um, they use belts right so your drive belt on there gets replaced at the same time because they're all interconnected right so your timing belt gets replaced I mean some cars use chains now but a lot of Hondas will still use belts they replace the water pump and the belt at the same time right so they'll always say well my water pump never broke no because it was done as part of your timing timing belt replacement they, they follow a different maintenance schedule to make sure that all those things they're preemptively replacing before you actually have to replace it. Where a domestic dealership, and I can speak from full experience because I run one of each, they have a different thing. They're like, well, you know, let's get to it when it does break. So, so you know, optically, rea uh, perception is reality. The perception is, well, you know, these domestic cars break down more. Well, no, it's because they don't always use the same kind of maintenance follow-up that the, that the Japanese guys do to make sure that it preemptively stops those things from breaking down. Okay, so let's talk about what's good about mechanics, all right? Number one, you have to find somebody that you trust, okay? From a cost perspective, there is a misnomer out there where dealerships charge you more than, you know, a mom-and-pop shop. Okay. I have sent my guys out to do cost analysis and take their cars to do oil changes and this and that at other places, such as, you know, Mr. Lube and, uh, and, and some of those, uh, other franchises out there, Canadian tire and things like that. And one of the things that Canadian tire and Mr. Lube and, and, and all those guys do really, really well is they upsell you very well. Right. I, I can tell you of a customer of mine, there's a, there, she was driving an escape back in the day. And they charged her at one of these independent locations for a front diff service. She brought me the bill and said, Hey, you know, I paid 90 bucks for this. I said, well, your front diff is sealed. There's no requirement for a service unless it was leaking. Did you have any fluid leaking from the car? No. So, so for all intents and purposes, you'd have to open up the seal, let all of that out, put it back on and then fill it back up with the diff fluid. So basically they got money out of her for no reason and they probably did nothing. But unfortunately dealers get a bad rap, right? Because, you know, yes, a dealer may have a slightly higher labor rate, but the smaller shops find a way to charge you more. I'll charge you for an engine shampoo and undercarriage this and undercarriage that. And they chip away at making more money from you. When the dealer tells you this is what's included this is what you're going to get. This is what you're going to get, right? Historically, you'll find that people will buy their car and the first three years while it's under warranty, they bring it back to the dealer because they don't want to have any problems with warranty. And you find that, you know, your loyalty drops off a little bit there. However, I have found for the people that continue to stay with the dealers, here's a couple things that happen. If you're out of warranty and you have a bigger problem and you continue continually service and you have loyalty to a dealer, if there's ever a problem that's outside of your warranty, close to the end of the warranty where you've just passed your warranty, the dealer can fight for something called goodwill and they can get some of it back based on off of your loyalty, right? You would not be able to do that if you went to another service shop anywhere, right? So if you said from the beginning, I'm going to Mr. Lube, Mr. Lube's going to do my oil changes and my maintenance and you come back and your warranty is over, the manufacturer's going to say to you, you weren't loyal to us. Why should I go out of my way to give you this loyalty back? However, there's several things that I've dealt with, uh, with Ford Motor Company and ourselves. And obviously, if I have a good customer who continues to bring their car here and they show us loyalty, I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that I take good care of them, number one. Number two, you need to find a good advisor 
at the dealership or the service area that you're dealing with. Because how I feel a good advisor operates is not only trying to sell you something because they want to make money. I want it to be a consultative approach. So we have our advisors here and we talk to them a lot about being consultative with the, with the customer because you're going to have a much better experience with me. If I say to you, Hey, Jonathan, you know what? Listen, we just did this 180 point inspection on your car. We rotated your tires. We changed this. We changed that. But because you're coming up to 140,000 K on here next time around, you should save up your money because we want to change your plugs. And the one thing that we noticed that's going right now, your brakes are going to need replacing next time. Here's what it's going to cost you next time around. I find when you take a consultative approach rather than trying to slam people with a, with a big bill, and I know some dealerships that are guilty of that, it goes a much longer way because you're saying to the customer, listen, I'm trying to make sure that together we're taking good care of your asset here and that it's going to give you the longevity that you need. Let's plan this together and make sure that we are setting you up for success, right? And sometimes what happens is the customer says, hey, you know what? I was actually thinking of upgrading my car. Now I'm at 150K. Why don't I trade it in now? Let's get something new, <laughs> right? That happens sometimes, but there are customers that appreciate that when you sit them down and say, look, here's what's coming up. Here's what you need to plan for because it gives them some direction and it gives them a participation in making sure they're taking care of their vehicle, right? So that's the other thing that, that I would say. And you also want to go to a place that has all the tools and a proper facility to take care of your car. When I say that, I mean, gone are the days where you can replace your brakes on your driveway, right? I remember as a kid, you see guys on their driveway replacing their brakes, right? They're out there bleeding the brakes, right? Go ahead and pump it, son, right? The son's in the car pumping it so it bleeds the brakes so, so they can get the brake fluid to come through, right? You can no longer do that. You can change the mechanical component of your brakes, but they will not work after you've put on your, your new brakes. Why is that? Because everything is controlled by a computer, right? And you need to recalibrate your brake sensors to make sure that they operate the way that the computer is designed for them to work. So unless you have that computer, there's no way you're changing your brakes, right? So this is one of the things you have to be very cautious of because there are stores out there, not dealers, there are independent stores out there that do not have the proper computers or facilities to be able to take care of the technology that exists in the car today. A lot of things these days, you plug in the computer to the, to the vehicle and you run it, it's called an IDS, and you take that IDS and it tells you what's wrong with the vehicle. And a lot of times it's a software download from the manufacturer that's going to fix your problem. So it makes it very counterintuitive to say, great, I'm going to save some money and I'm going to take it to Joe's Auto Shop but Joe's auto shop is not equipped enough to take care of your vehicle for you. And of course, because you trust him, you feel, well, you know what? I've been dealing with Joe for all this time. Joe's not doing you any favors because he's working away on something and doesn't have the knowledge or the, or, or the equipment to be able to fix it. So that's what you're running into these days. Most manufacturers have really spent a really good, a really amount, a huge amount of time making sure that the cars are run off of computers. So much so, I'll give you an example of something, a Mach-E. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks that, that electric cars are maintenance free. That's not true. Right. They're going to be less maintenance than, a, than electric, than, a, than an internal combustion vehicle. But you still have to check your brakes on them. You still have to check your tire tread because uh, electric cars are well known for burning through tires because of the weight of the battery. And there are certain other things that you want to make sure that your charging system is running right. 
the, the air and the tires are correct. You still want to rotate your tires. You still want to lube certain joints that are in there to make sure that you're getting optimal performance. So there is a certain amount of maintenance, but people figure there's no maintenance. There is still maintenance. You should still be doing it every 16K on your electric cars. But to get to go about to talk about the computer and the software and stuff like that, Ford does over the air updates similar to Tesla where you leave your updates on and it'll fix a problem in the car over the air when you're hooked up <laughs> through a modem, right? So anytime they want to download iterations of the software to fix quirks, let's call it, right? Because sometimes, let's face it, it's a computer you're driving, right? They're little quirks. Somebody's going to restart your car. It's a computer, right? They'll fix these iterations over the air. So technology's come a long way and it's very hard to say I don't know what the life of an independent shop is going to be. If things are going to continually go towards uh, electric vehicles, I think it's going to be very, very hard for them to continue to stay in business because they won't have the technology or the people that are trained to, to get you there. I mean, I don't, I don't think that ICE vehicles are going away. They're going to be here for a long, long time until you can, until you can charge up an electric vehicle as fast as you can gas up an ICE vehicle. I don't think it's going to be hundred percent take rate. And plus the infrastructure in the world is not ready to handle that yet. Let's be completely honest, because I was talking to my physiotherapist, right? And she drives a Tesla. And she said to me, oh, family day weekend, I went away with my family to Ottawa. Okay, so tell me, Jonathan, we drive from Mississauga to Ottawa. How long does it take you? It'll take you, what, uh, three hours? Right. Depending where you are in Ottawa? Seven and a half hours to get there with the stopping. So I understand being green. I understand being you know, environmentally conscious, but what's your time worth as well too, <laughs> right? You're tacking on an extra three hours to your trip. Let's call it three and a half hours. The aggravation of having young kids in the car that are getting restless, you know, the fact that you're shortening their family day weekend from jumping in the pool at the hotel, you know, there are a lot of things that you think of. You have to change your lifestyle if you're going to get into an electric vehicle. I always tell people that it's a lifestyle change. You have to be willing to accept those changes. If you live in a condo, you have to be able to make sure that the condo can support having an electrical charger there. When you're at home, you got to install at least a level two charger because there's no way you want to charge it off your 110 because it'll take you 14 days to charge it from empty to full. And I'm not lying when I say that, right? You want to get a level two charger that's going to juice it up in about six or seven hours overnight while you sleep. And then you got to say, great, it'll charge, it'll cost you less on, on, on your electrical bill uh, than it will in terms of gas. But when you look at tires and things like that, is it going to be more expensive? When you got to look at the fact, I've read a lot of, I'm on a lot of forums for electric vehicles because I like to know where the future is going. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing now Tesla owners who are out of warranty. And I was reading one and I don't know if it's true or not. I always preface by saying that, but I read it where the guy was indicating that it was a flaw in, in Tesla's design whereby the air conditioner was leaking on top of the battery. So, I mean, you can Google that and see what I was reading. The guy got a $28,000 bill because he was out of warranty. He had to replace the battery and it was a flaw and it was leaking on top of the battery. So it caused the battery to corrode, right? But Tesla at that point, rightfully so, well, you know what? It lasted based on the warranty period. So we're in the clear and I, and I get it because, you know, warranty is there where you figure that these components are going to last for a reasonable period of time. And that's why manufacturers put warranties on things because they know sometimes things break and it's man-made. So, you know, they give you a reasonable period of time for things to work. And outside that it's on you. But when you got to think about replacing a battery, that's going to run you 20 K 
Um, when I look at the Ford uh, Lightning, if I were to buy a full replacement battery pack, okay, um, it'll probably be around forty thousand dollars for the battery. Now that's on current that's current pricing today. Chances are when you go solid state and stuff like that's going to become a lot more uh, inexpensive. But right now there's one, two, three, four, five, six chambers in the F-150 because I was I was lucky enough to see the whole battery outlay and and the nice thing about it is is that you can replace you can replace individual ones if there's a problem with it. But if you had to replace all of them, it's almost as much as half half the value of the truck, right? So these are all considerations that I think of being in the business because it's wonderful to be able to drive a, an electric car, but there are a lot of other things that you got to take into consideration, how long they're going to last for the future. What happens when you're outside of warranty? What's your maintenance that you do need to take care of? Because for sure you're eating through tires, right? You probably got to change your tires maybe once every 18 months. And I've seen that because the battery is so heavy, it puts a lot of pressure on the car, makes it handle great in the snow, right? They, they drive pretty good, but when you've got a really cold day and it's minus 30 outside, your battery life goes downhill very, very fast, right? So, you know, they talk about changing your lifestyle. You got to precondition the car before you get into it on a cold day to make sure you're, you're maximizing your battery. They tell you, turn off your HVAC system in the car on those cold days and use your heated steering wheel and the heated seat. That is recommended from the manufacturer, be it Tesla, Ford, and whoever else. It's written in the manual. So I'm not making this stuff up. It's written in there as a way that you can serve your battery on those cold days. So as a person, you have to sacrifice to get into an electric car. It's not always a reality. There's an allure to it, right? It's almost like crypto, right? Everybody wanted to invest in crypto and, and you know, it's getting a little bit shunned now because the value has, has gone down so much, right? It's not as appealing as it used to be before. And, and sometimes you will find some people that are not 100% happy because it does change your lifestyle. So you have to be willing to accept that lifestyle. There's so many people I know that want to go to that lifestyle and they're saying, it's going to be so great because it's going to cost me nothing. I'm spending so much money in gas every single month, every single week. This is going to be zero maintenance. It's going to be the easiest thing in the world. I just take the car and go. I can just plug it at will wherever it's available. Life will be so simple. I was reading an article on that as well. The two things was the battery charge, like you said, as far as like uh, replacing the battery. Wow, mm -hmm. if you have to do that. And just generally the cost of battery charging. So uh, depending on what state, if you're in the United States or in what province you are in Canada and the cost of your hydro, uh, you may be surprised of the cost of uh, electricity to uh, charge your uh, electric vehicle versus the cost of gas. In some places, it's not that far off, surprisingly. Correct. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, I mean, Ford, what they're going to be doing is that dealers dealers have to decide on becoming uh, certified uh, EV dealers. So we, we decided here that we're going to become a uh, um, certified elite dealer, which means that you, you carry the full gamut of sales and service and you get a little bit more uh, electric vehicles than somebody who decided not to go down that road. Part of what Ford is doing is that they're trying to create the largest charging network in all of North America, if not the world. So every Ford dealer that signs on to the program, be it the elite program or the, the certified program, which is below it, there's a requirement for a certain amount of chargers, mm -hmm. customer facing, level two, level three, so that it makes up that network, right? So in the future, and I mean, we signed up for it, uh, the, the deadline was last month, 
right? So there's going to be things moving pretty quickly. At Aaronwood, we do have a fair amount of chargers here already because we were one of the top stores for selling hybrid electric vehicles and electric vehicles. So we had the infrastructure in place already. Our panels were already upgraded. There's more upgrades coming, right? Um, but Ford is going to have that network to tap into that all the dealers are going to be on their app, right? So as a Ford, as a Ford driver, a Ford electric driver, you're going to have the ability to charge pretty much anywhere a Ford store is, and it's going to cover you across across North America, right? Mm -hmm. So the ability to charge in the future will be a lot easier, but it's it's definitely a problem today. A few weeks back, when they had all the storms in Montreal, right? There were people lining up for three, four hours waiting to, to charge their electric cars because they were dying, like they didn't have a charger at home, right? There's fights at the at the Tesla high-speed chargers for people. They're not cheap, right? And and one thing is a high-speed charger is not a high-speed charger is not a high-speed charger. And the reason why I say that is that you're able to modify the amount of wattage that goes to your high-speed charger depending on grid availability and how you want it to, to, to operate. So I'll give you an example. I can set up a high-speed charger and it has it has two branches coming off of it, okay? So you pull up your electric car and you park next to me. You're at 60% battery life and I'm at 20. The systems now these days are smarter to say, great, this guy here with the 20, I'm going to charge him the same as the guy with the 60%, but I'm going to deliver more wattage to the 20 so that his charging time is equal with the guy next to him so that his 20 comes up to 100 as fast as the 60 comes up to 100. But you paid the same thing I did, but I got more electricity. <laughs> that is mind-blowing. Right? You can set you can set them. So there are certain systems out there that you can set them. And, and I mean, you know, you'd have to figure out what the wattage is. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of uh, chargers that now tell you what the wattage is so you know what you're getting. And, and sometimes... One high speed someplace is delivering a faster wattage than one somewhere else. So you can charge in half the time, right? And you're going to have infrastructure problems. Like, let's face it, you go Northern Ontario, mm -hmm. they may not have the infrastructure to run that kind of, uh, of high speed charger. So you're going to get where you're going to get there. So traveling can still be difficult. I, I, I just, I just went to Montreal not that long ago and I marveled. They didn't have snow for so long yet. There's still snow all over the sidewalks. They're not plowing the streets. And a lot of people don't have driveways, don't have garages. So the street parking is very popular, especially downtown in that those parts. You're not going to see a charger anywhere if you're, if you're parking overnight on the street. No. Uh, I don't know how they're going to go about that. So it's, it, it's like you're saying. Thing, Blur West Village, right? Blur West Village, there are lots of people that don't have driveways. You, you come down the stairs and, and, and they park their cars on the road and they have to have a permit for it. Danforth, right. same thing, right? Unless, of course, you could have a wireless charger. The problem is, in a place like Canada, when you got to plow the streets, if there's a wireless charging pad there, it's going to get eaten up by the, by the snow plow. These are all the things I think of. And, and, and you know, it, it's interesting with technology. Obviously, as a world, we want things to progress, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the one gentleman that, that years ago was looking to sp sell his spider, he was actually responsible for... Uh, Canadian grants for technology, technological changes. Hmm. So he actually approved grants for companies that had life-changing technologies. So him and I started talking about autonomous cars, right? Yes, so it yes. might change your topic and your agenda a little bit, right? <clears throat> now, me, I'd probably be pretty scared to get into autonomous car 
you know, you go somewhere downtown, you just decide to jump in an autonomous car and it's going to drive you to your next destination. I'm not sure I trust that so much, right? Unless I had a steering wheel in front of me. However, he brought up some really interesting points, right? He says, you have this car that's autonomous. It has all the radars. It has all the sonar in it, has all the technology to read the environment. So it looks out for pedestrians and it looks out for certain things. He says, but let me ask you a question. What happens with the old cars that don't have that technology and they can't speak to it? How is it supposed to know that's there? Okay, I'm like, that's a fair point. He says, what happens if you're driving in a place that technically is below sea level? Does it affect the, does it affect the viability of the radar and the sonar and all the tools in there that are being used on the vehicle? Since if you're up at high altitude in Colorado because you like to ski, are they going to work the same way at a high altitude as well too? So he brought up all these things where I was like, wow, I've never thought about that before. Right? And, yeah. and they're all really viable, plausible things that he's saying. How far do you think we are from the days when we'll all not be driving and we'll be all in autonomous cars? Where do you, where do you see that? You thinking about in our lifetimes? Probably no. not. Probably not. Like, I mean, maybe, maybe 50 years down the road because you run into that problem. Like imagine trying to get taxis downtown Toronto as autonomous. It'll be an absolute disaster. Insurance companies will never go for something like that. Who's going to, who's going to have the liability at that point? <laughs> Who do you have to sue if something goes wrong? The owner of the car? Will there be insurance? Will there be some sort of liability? There are lots of things that as much as wanting to jump on the technology bandwagon and as much as wanting to have autonomous stuff, like my truck has autonomy in it. So it's something that Ford has called Blue Cruise. And the way that, that works is that Ford has mapped out the roads and they, they're up to like 40% of North America right now where the roads are mapped, certain ones are not. So if I get on the 401, it's mapped. Like I'm driving to Detroit tomorrow and I'm going down there and I set my Blue Cruise and I keep my hands on the wheel. It tells you to keep your eyes on the road. I've tested it where I've looked away. My eyeballs, I've looked away. It catches you and tells you to keep your eyes on the road. But it will stay in that lane for as long as possible. And it does a, an amazing job of it. It keeps in the lane. I've had no problems. The car in front, in front of me slows down. It slows down with it. It speeds back up. It takes the curve in the road. It does all that good stuff. But there's still a trust factor. I, I'm still not going to feel very, very comfortable leaving it on all the time. I always want to maintain to make sure that I'm keeping an eye on it. Because who knows if something goes wrong with a computer. Computers crash. We talked about that already, right? Yes, yes. So, yes, there's autonomy. But I think it stops at a certain level for, for today's marketplace. And, and in the future, I just think there's so many if not red tape that you'd have to get through from a, from a, from, you know, a governmental perspective and, and, and things like that, that are going to completely quash it for the next, I don't know, so many decades. It, it's not something that I see that governmental bodies and things like that and, and, and insurance companies and risk evaluators are going to sit down and say, Hey, this is a good idea. I, I, I can't really see it unless they're getting paid off. I can't see it. It just, you know, one on one has to equal two. It just doesn't equal two right now. Well, I mean, you at least have the cars that are self-parking and all that jazz, which I don't know how yeah, much people are using great. that or not. But, but, the great. but the features are there. And so yeah. when, you brought, when you bring up this point, you know, and I want to sum up everything today in one nice package because uh, 
We talked about various car- types of cars, uh, whether it's a muscle car, a sport, a uh, supercar, trucks, EVs, autonomous cars, and now somebody looking to shop for them. You know, we're going into the spring summer season. The one thing that's that's always baffled me is when did these models launch? So we're in the year 2023 right now, mm-hmm. and some places will have the 2024s out or almost out. Some are just launching their 2023s. How do we know this whole thing about this model year and then when it actually got launched? And is it really a 2023, a 2024, a 2025? So how does one go about looking for that and deciding what year of car they're going to buy? So historically, it used to be, you know, manufacturers would 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 make the model year just the year before and the October previous to the next year, they clear it out and they start a new model year and you order all your cars in right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way anymore. They do it arbitrarily. Uh, Maybe they have it planned, but in my eyes, it's it's arbitrary because, for example, the 2024 model year Mustang order bank is opening up shortly. If the order bank, but if the order bank opens up shortly, and this is now the early spring of 2023, Mm -hmm. when am I taking delivery of the card? Probably August-ish. July, August-ish, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit before that, depending on on, on what they're doing. Um, so so that's 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 the one thing. They they tend to just you know create a new vehicle, and depending on plant availability and tooling and 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 labor and stuff like that, they make a decision to open up an order bank on something or when to close it. Because sometimes I remember about three years ago the Mustang. Uh, window to order Mustangs for that model year was only something like three months because they were refreshing the model and and they wanted to just do a really quick order. You're going to get this amount of it and we're going to retool the plant because it takes a little bit of time to do that to start a new model year. So it all depends on that. A lot of the manufacturers, Ford especially, they they always try to strive to give you a new refreshed complete model every five years and a modification on that refresh every two and a half. So you'll notice that, you know, 2020, for example, they came up with the, um, the Ford Escape, right? The Ford Escape got a little bit of a redesign, you know, 2022, where they made a couple changes and they added this package and added that package. And you can get a 2024, they, they're creating a new Escape again, a little bit different looking. So there's going to be a new refresh in four model years. They typically do it in five. So they're trying to keep the product fresh. Nissan does the same thing. They just refreshed the Sentra, which came back, came out in 2022, the re, 2021, the refresh. And in 2024 model year, which you can order coming up soon, they've changed a few of the things, the way it looks. They've, you know, they've added certain new features on it that, that distinguishes it from the earlier model so that they keep things fresh, right? So you'll always have that with the manufacturers now. There really is no set time. It used to be, you know, yeah, I know I can do this clear out at this time. It's no longer that way. And, you know, when it, when I was, uh, you know, a sales manager here and I was desking deals for guys, customers would say, yeah, you know, we'll wait till, you know, employee pricing, we'll wait till this, we'll wait till this because the programs are better. It really doesn't work that way anymore. The way that works for the manufacturer, they have something called contests and incentives, CNI for short, and there's a pool of money that they use to attract buyers. So some months they'll run a 0%, which is not happening now because of interest rates, but they used to run a 0%. And then, you know, two months down the road, they would run a big delivery allowance with a higher interest rate on it because they wanted to track not only the, 
the buyers that wanted the 0%, uh, be it for just because it's a great marketing tool or for religious reasons, because there, there are lots of religions that don't allow you to pay or receive interest. Um, or the cash buyer that says, hey, you know, I've saved up for this car. Let me get a $5,000 delivery allowance on it. I'll pay cash for the car, right? So so a lot of the manufacturers have, have taken that. This month, Ford is doing that closer to the end of the month, the last few days of the month. So from the 21st, which is today, till the 31st, they're, they're running two split programs. For, so for the next four days, they're running a cash program where you get up to $5,700 off of an F-150, higher interest rate, 699799 right? Then on the 30th and 31st, it comes down to like a 2.99 rate so that you get a subvented rate that equals approximately that savings and interest. So they mix and match the programs and they take that pool of money and they craft it into a marketing program to help attract the various types of buyers because but i can tell you this from experience desk deals for 12 years here i can spin numbers with the best of them in this industry and i'm not saying that self-proclaimed i'm telling you i can spin numbers with the best of them in terms of, of running numbers i remember sitting down customers and saying look you think zero percent so great right because they're like i have to have zero percent okay i'm like the first question to ask because you got to be respectful is is it for religious reasons no okay Let's look at what the cash program runs. So $4,000 delivery allowance with a 3.99 interest rate versus a zero delivery allowance and a 0% rate. 99 out of 100 times, the delivery allowance with a slightly higher interest rate is always better from a payment perspective and to the fact that if you pay it down sooner, you're going to save interest. On a 0%, paying it down sooner saves you zero, right? Because it is really a true 0%. So anytime you see a deal that came through a 0%, there was always a back end of it, right? So the back end would say Ford Motor Company paid Ford Credit $1,600 to buy this rate down from our borrowing rate. At, at the time, I guess it was prime minus one or something is what their borrowing rate was. And they transfer funds. You'd actually see it. The transfer of funds to buy the rate down to 0% on this vehicle. So it was a true 0%, right? But... When you have an interest rate associated with it and there's a cash buyback, 99 out of 100 times, it works out a better payment for you. And as a buyer, it's a better way to buy a car because you can effectively save interest if you pay it down sooner, just like a mortgage, where on the 0%, you can't. See, folks, we learned something new today. So sometimes the best deal is not always what you think is the best deal. And that's where I got to ask you, George, as we end today's episode. And I thank you for all the car information and knowledge you've given us today, because uh, there's a lot of misconceptions out there and, you know, people think they're Google smart, but it's still really important to hear it from the industry experts and how to go about it. So the person that's buying their first car, they're ready to go, or they got to trade up or their car just died and they're, and they're all, all interested. They got to get a car this spring. Any last tips you can give to Joe public? Uh, Joe public of how to go about buying your car and things to think otherwise about. Sure. So, I mean, look, first of all, do your research. Everybody Googles everything, <laughs> right? Let, let's, let's face it. So a lot of the car buyers that come into the dealerships are, are in my opinion, more well-versed than some of the sales reps that sell the cars because they look at every single iteration and they're, they're zoned in on that vehicle. Right? So do, do a little bit of your research. Take a look at the organization you're buying the car from to make sure they've been in business for a long time, right? Take a look at their reviews. Now, we all know that sometimes you get bad reviews in there because you can't keep everybody happy. 
But if you look at the majority of them and they're great reviews, you know you're going to deal with a good with a good place, right? Um, transparency in my eyes is very key. So as a dealer, we try to always put our pricing online. We try to have resources where there are things that you can go on there and, and, and figure out your payments and, and different things like that. I think transparency is key. If you look at our used cars, for example, we have window stickers on there that you can see what you are buying as a used car, for example. Um, the one thing that irks me as a dealer is the fact that you see dealers on there, they have a vehicle, there's nice pictures on it, and it says, call for price. Right? Because, you know, it's like you see those Facebook ads where somebody's selling a couch. The couch looks great. It says free on there. Right? But as you read the comments, it says 12 available message for price. Why can't they take that couch and say it's $1,456 for this couch and we have it available in 12 different colors? Right? There's a big difference between somebody being willing to give you information. And I, I think as an organization, as a dealership, you have to be willing to give people information. You have to be transparent with people, right? And you have to be honest with people, right? For me, when I when I sold cars and people would ask me a question I didn't know the answer, I'd say, I don't know the answer, but let me find out for you. Right? I think that's really important that somebody trying to BS their way through stuff. The person that takes the time in front of you to pull up the resources and show you in black and white is going to go a lot longer because they're accountable for their actions, right? And and someone who delivers what they say they're going to deliver is a very important thing. I say we put an end to what we we're, we're, I made a new term. I call it car fishing. Car fishing. <laughs> you like that? No more car yeah. fishing. I want to see the actual pictures. I want the car to look like what I want to buy. And I want to know what I'm actually going to pay. And I, I agree with you there. That full transparency makes life a lot easier. And I think the trust factor and respect would be going a long way as well for a potential card buyer. So, yeah. So that's that's my advice. And find somebody that you like. Because I always tell my sales guys, look, somebody, unless it's the only one available, they're not going to want to buy from you if they don't like you. So you got to be a likable person as well, too. And you got to show genuinely that you're taking care of their concerns and that you're looking out for their best interests right before this call, and that's why I was a few minutes late, right? I met some customers downstairs who were, were from Barbados like myself, and they knew my cousin, and they knew some people that I knew there, and we were chatting. And it was a grandfather who wanted to buy a Raptor for his grandson, right? Raptor truck. Nice. And he's ready to pay the money for it. This is a 25-year-old son, like a 25-year-old grandson. His mom's here, and I came down and I met them wasn't supposed to be involved in the process at all. Just coming down to say hello because they said they knew some of my family, right? So what I do, I start asking the kid, okay, you have kids? No. What do you do? Well, I work with CNC machines. Okay, cool. You have any properties, right? So I started asking him those things just to find out where his head was at because, I mean, it's great that his grandfather wants to give him a Raptor, but... I said to him, did you look at insurance rates? No, I haven't looked at that yet. I said, listen, there are a lot of things that you need to consider before your grandfather spends his hard-earned money, <laughs> right? And, and, and if it were my money, I don't know if I want to buy a Raptor as much as they're wonderful vehicles. As a 25-year-old, you want to set yourself up for life first and then enjoy those things after. And maybe that's me being backwards. Maybe that's me being conservative because we're unfortunately in a, in a Netflix society where everybody wants their instant gratification now. But what I feel morally, morally right, turning around to this 25-year-old kid, when I know I have kids of my own, saying, no, buddy, go ahead and buy the Raptor. 
No, I want you to make an informed decision. If what you decide is that I can afford the Raptor, I've looked into the insurance, it's the vehicle for me, I can continue to afford it, my grandfather's helping me, but I know that I have a responsibility when I own this vehicle, I'd be happy to sell it to you then after those things are satisfied. But as a parent, as somebody who's who's running a business and wants to be wants to be in a position whereby he'll come back and buy a second, third and fourth car from me and his kids will end up buying like we have customers here. I want to make sure that he's making the right decision because if I put him in a situation whereby he can't afford it, he'll never want to buy from me again. So that's the one, there's a couple of things that I look at as well too. George Hill, you're a good man. And I let the viewers know when you hit that notification bell and the subscribe button and you put in your comments, please send your questions for Mr. George Hill of Aaronwood Ford. And whether it's cars, life, business, George, you do it all and you imparted your wisdom today. So thank you very much. Those were really, really great tips and very excited for the upcoming uh, season in the spring of 2023 to see more cars getting launched and uh, what the future holds for the Ford GT, electrical cars, autonomous cars. We're going to see it all, brother. So as we sign off today's episode, uh, any uh, anything else you'd like to uh, add on to your uh, viewers there as far as questions they could send in for you? No, if they have any questions, obviously they can reach out to me, uh, be it Ford or Nissan related. So Aaronwood Ford or Direct Nissan. I'm always uh, happy to help. Very good. And as we sign off, uh, you're going to embarrass me because uh, your pipes are a lot bigger, but we put in the uh, arms. They're getting, they're getting small, dude. Look at them. I got to start say, working out again with you. And we say keep living the chosen life. Keep living the chosen life, brother. Thanks, George.